You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Down home we have a, a, a neighbour, and or a couple of fields away as you'll appreciate and know, but our neighbour said about 10 or 15 years ago that he was going to climb Mount Everest. And he did so, but to do so he had to do well, really years of preparation and, and training. And to climb Everest now, I Google it, costs on average about 60 grand, believe it or not. But it's really difficult. There is many training sessions required as he learned how to deal with the inclement weather, as he learned how to carry weight on his back as he was carrying oxygen tank and so on towards the end. There's lots of training needed. There's lots of sacrifice needed too, isn't there? To, to be prepared and to be prepared well. He had to make sure that this thought process of getting to Mount Everest had to be like the number one thing. And everything that he did, all the decisions that he made, he had to have this in the back of his mind. And he had to prioritize it above everything else. And to get to his goal, to reach the top of Everest, and I guess the hope would be that it would be worth it if he got to the top. Can you imagine all that effort, all that training, possibly all that money? But imagine he got to the top of Everest. Well, in my mind, you think you could see for miles and miles and miles. That would be the dream, wouldn't it? But what's the chances of seeing that? You're going to see cloud, aren't you? And you wonder, is it really going to be worth it except I say I've done that? I'm not going to see anything. There's no real medal for it or anything. It's just to say that I've done it. It's really difficult. But maybe he would say it was worth it. And when it comes to the Christian life, isn't it true that sometimes it feels as though we're climbing Everest because it's so hard and it's so difficult? Isn't it true that it's our training and sacrifice that we have to prioritize Jesus above all else? And that's what Jesus is getting at here for the, the, the believer and for the unbeliever to consider this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it actually means to follow me. See, following Jesus is our difficult priority, but it will be worth it. There's not going to be any cloud cover to block our view. No, we'll be shielding our eyes from the glory of Jesus and all of his splendor and majesty in eternity. That is why it is worth it. That is why, even though it's so hard and difficult, it's so worth it because we will see Jesus face-to-face. And you know, as we've been going through Luke's gospel, and maybe even, even in your own reading, these crowds are following Jesus. They're just literally following Jesus from place to place to hear what he has to say. And it's no different here at the start of this. Luke tells us these crowds are following them, but who's in the crowd? The crowd's full of all sorts of people, isn't it? There are people who are, who are coming along just with the crowd, drifting along to see what Jesus has to say, maybe to see what controversy he's going to, to, to cause or what pot he's going to stir. But there's all kinds of people here. And Jesus is saying to them, do you really understand what it is to follow me? Do you really get it? Do you understand it's actually going to cost you to follow me? Jesus wants to make it really clear to the crowd and to us how difficult it is to follow him, what it means to follow Jesus. Because maybe, in a sense, we're like the crowd, okay? We're coming to church on a Sunday, 
but we really haven't considered what it means to follow Jesus, what this means for our life pattern. And these verses, they are very clear, yet very demanding, aren't they, for the Christian, as we discover what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to follow blindly. He wants us to know it's going to be hard and difficult. He wants us to know what it really means to follow him. And he tells us three different things that means to follow him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to make Jesus the most difficult priority? The first one is this, that he is to be the most important person. Jesus is to be the most important person. And while Jesus indicates this, and it might be confusing at the start, but bear with me, Jesus says in verse 26, hate, hate everyone else. That might be really shocking for us to hear, but Jesus is not saying hate in the sense that we say hate. It's more like a, a preference. So if I give you an option of vanilla ice cream or chocolate ice cream, you might say, oh, I hate chocolate, give me vanilla. You might not really hate chocolate, you, pref you would prefer vanilla. And that's what Jesus is saying. You don't literally hate your family. Because after all, doesn't Jesus say to love our enemies? Jesus is saying, yes, your family's there, but you need to prefer me. You need to have me as the, the most important person. We should have such a love for Jesus, such a love for Jesus, that whenever we compare our love for Jesus to the love of our family, it's very obvious who we love more, Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to hate people or treat people in an unchristian manner or way. But he does cause to make a very clear, definitive decision that Jesus is to be number one. That he is to be number one in our lives, not, not hating, <laughs> but that he is to be number one in our love. Compared to our family, Jesus is to be the most important person. Now, of course, we care for our families. It would be wrong not to, wouldn't it? But we are to disciple our children, and when we do that, whenever we are living out our faith, means that in our family life, whenever the world looks in, they wonder what on earth is going on. Whenever the world looks in, they say, well, that's strange. We are to love Jesus as number one above other things and other people. So what does that look like for us practically? Well, maybe it's between a husband and wife. One is out at church serving or out church praying or out at night or taking up a, another discipleship opportunity and element of church life rather than spending the night in together. Although that is important, but it's priorities, isn't it? To have Jesus as the most important person and not a character on TV. Is Jesus really number one if you have not been at church at night or on a Thursday night? Challenging, isn't it? Because Jesus is to be placed above all other relationships. If a choice has to be made between our closest relationship, our family, and Jesus, if a decision has to be made, we must choose Jesus every time. Now, of course, we don't have that problem often, do we? But we can think of many stories in the, the Muslim world, can't we, where we hear of a, a young girl or young boy coming to faith in their home, they're converted to Jesus Christ, and they tell their family. And what do the family say? They either say, renounce Jesus or get out. And what do the, what do the stories we hear are? <laughs> what do they choose? 
Jesus. Jesus is the most important person to them, that they would give up their family for him, that they would give their loyalty to Jesus. But this just doesn't apply to the converted Muslim who has to decide between her family and Jesus. But don't we have the temptation to choose family or relationships over Jesus too? Because we value our own comfort and our own security more than we follow Jesus. Yes, it might not be life and death for us, but isn't that true? We value our own comfort and security more than we follow Jesus. We love our families so much that actually there's no sacrifice at all for Jesus because Jesus is not really the most important relationship. We don't have a proper love and passion for Jesus. That's why it's difficult. Of course, I'm not telling you to get rid of everybody or ignore everybody, but our love for Jesus must be greater than anything else. That's our difficult priority, to have Jesus as the most important person. And the second thing Jesus says is this, that we are to have the most costly posture. So I see Mark at the back there. If you go to Mark's gym and you do some of those weight exercises and drills, if you don't have the right position or the right technique in doing them, you could end up hurting yourself or injuring yourself. It could well be painful for weeks down the line. It's important that as Christians that we have the right posture as well. And what is this posture? Well, there's a sense that it's humility, but what does Jesus say? What should our posture be? Verse 27, that we are to carry our own cross. Or Jesus says, and anyone who does not carry his own cross. So in other words, we need to carry your, our own cross. We need to bear our own cross. We must carry it daily, as he said earlier in Luke chapter 9. Jesus, and when Jesus says this for the first time, cross, people know the exact image Jesus is talking about. Their minds go to Jerusalem, and their mind goes to the criminal who walks through the streets, who is ridiculed, his abuses hurled at him as they go on a journey to the hills outside Jerusalem, on the roads outside of Jerusalem, where they're going to be humiliated and maybe tortured, but eventually it will lead to death. It's a, a one-way journey. And Jesus is saying that each of us have our own cross to bear. Now, sometimes people use that flippantly in a phrase, don't they? Oh, we all have our own crosses to bear. But this kind of cross for the Christian is more than just a responsibility or a flippant remark or a difficult situation. But this kind of cross is an activity. It's a posture of how we are to live our life. We all have our own crosses to bear because each person is a, a different experience. And we know that. No two people are the same, regardless of the different sicknesses we might experience, the, the different pains and sufferings and disappointment in our lives. Because we are, we are for Jesus, we have a different posture. We, have a, we carry our own cross. We don't strive after our own interests. It's very easy in suffering in our own lives to be so, leave a thing I'm alone isn't it? It's so easy whenever pressure comes, whenever we're carrying the responsibilities and burdens to, to forget about Jesus. But what does Jesus say? We have to carry your own cross. And what else does he say in verse 27? And follow me. We are to follow Jesus, a self-denial, a denial of ourselves, so that we despite all the burdens that we carry and all the disappointments that we have, we seek to advance his kingdom. Jesus is saying, 
following me will be difficult. Following Jesus will be difficult. It'll cost you. Young people, following Jesus will cost you friends. It will cost you relationships. You might still have good friends or have this happen to you in the past, but as you make Jesus the most important person in your life, as you say no to certain things and yes to Jesus, as you seek to follow him through all your life experience, there will be a point where people will say, nah, no thanks. Basically, I don't want to be your friend anymore because you like Jesus. We might get made fun of our faith or people pointing out things that they can do, but we cannot do because we are following Jesus. Following Jesus will be difficult. There are moments when following Jesus will cause us to be so conflicted in our hearts where we have a, a split moment to make a decision. An instant, they either decide to take the hard decision to follow Jesus or take the easy option out. We have to weigh up in a moment what we should do, whether it be someone coming into us, looking work done, wanting something done off the books, and we turn and say, actually, I'm going to invoice you for that. And they turn and walk, clip on their heels and walk out the door, and you've lost money, you've lost business. And you might have needed it. It's difficult. It's hard. It means resisting the temptation, even though the world says, you can sin away, you can do whatever you want. It means that as humble followers of Jesus, that we don't. See, Jesus is saying, following me is much more than just going to church, but it's to follow me, believe in me, confess me as Lord in every part of our lives. It will be difficult. And that's why Jesus uses these two parables, that we would understand that we have to count the cost of following Jesus. So when Jesus says count the cost, he uses these two pictures, a picture of a tower and a picture of a king. So the tower is in verse 28, through a couple of verses. And the picture is Jesus is saying, if you're going to build something, you're going to consider where you're going to build it, what you need, and how much it's going to cost. That's a very sensible thing to do. That's wise. For the king, if you're going to go to war, and you have 10,000 men, and the opposition has 20,000 men, and, well, they're actually really good fighters, and your men, maybe not so much, you have to consider, is it worth it? Is it worth it to risk all those men's life and your kingdom? Or is it better to make peace? It's better to make peace, isn't it? Both these questions, in a sense, are, are obvious answers. Are you going to count the cost to build a tower? Well, yeah, of course you are. Are you going to not think about the cost of going to war? Well, normally, wise kings, wise rulers, wise leaders would say, yeah, of course we're going to count the cost. Jesus is saying, you need to consider what it means to follow me. You need to consider what it means to follow me. So if you're not a Christian today, Jesus says, consider what it means to follow me. Yes, it's going to be difficult. Yes, it'll be constant commitment. Yes, it seems hard considering what the Lord requires of us to put him number one in our lives. But let's not the case of counting the cost conclude that following Jesus is not worth it. Because it's the exact opposite. You can go through life relatively easily and not consider the cost of what you're missing out on. 
Jesus says, whenever you count the cost, you will see that I'm absolutely worth it. That's what he's just talked about in the great banquet. These people said no, and they've missed out on this lavish meal, this heavenly banquet, this eternity, this salvation. Jesus says, when you consider the hardships that you'll have to endure, when you count the cost of the things that you'll have to do for my name, it'll be so worth it in the end. Jesus is worth following. Jesus is saying to the crowds, don't get me wrong, it's going to be hard, but it's worth it to follow me. He's worth following because he gives salvation, he gives hope, he gives us life. It's our difficult priority to follow him. But with all he gives, all the, the inheritance that will never spoil our fear that we will receive in him, that's what makes Jesus the most important possession. And that's the third thing he says, that I am to be the most important possession. Some of you over the last 18 months or so have told me you've cleared out the house, getting rid of things, trying to declutter. But there's always someone, whenever that activity goes on, who finds something that they've forgotten about, and they say, oh yeah, I need to keep that. Or they don't want to, to give it away, they want to keep it. Maybe it's sentimental, or maybe they think it'll come in handy, maybe in 10 years' time or something. Never, Jesus is talking, he's, not, he's saying, don't put me on a shelf and forget about me, but have me front and center. You have to treasure me. So in verse 33, what does Jesus say? In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, we're to give up everything. What does Jesus mean by that? It's hard, isn't it? Well, Jesus is saying, if following me means that you have to give up your financial security, if you have to give up your comforts and pleasures in life, so be it. Maybe he calls us to go. And he says, you have to give up the good schooling that your kids would get here or the good health care that you'd have. Or you have to give up your life plans, your business or career plan. If Jesus wants to, us to give that up, we have to say, so be it. It's sacrificial living, being a Christian. It can be easy to say, yeah, David, that's right. We are to do those things if God tells us to do those things. But we don't really have to sacrifice very much at all. See, in our minds, as we think about the stuff that we have, our possessions, have you drawn up in your mind's eye red lines? Lines where you don't let Jesus go into. Lines that say, well, actually, I must save X pounds a month. Or I must have this standard of living. Or my kids must go to this school. See, would you not be willing to sacrifice something or everything? Maybe not in all your stuff, but in the sense that everything Jesus could take apart away, but that Jesus would have access to all your stuff. Would you not be willing to sacrifice it all if it meant that Jesus was to advance his kingdom? There should be nothing off limits in our lives. Augustine was writing in the 4th century, and I'm in the city of God. And in the city of God, he's responding to Rome being raided and people losing their lives and losing a lot of possessions. And this is what Augustine says about the Christian. I think he hits the nail on the head today as well. For many of you, as I look out and I think of others at home, he says about the Christian, there are those who, though they, they cannot be said to prefer earthly possessions to Christ, do yet cleave or cling to them with a somewhat immoderate attachment. 
they have discovered by the pain of losing these things how much they were sinning and loving them. Isn't that true? Many of you will say to me, yes, David, Jesus is my most prized possessions. I prefer Jesus to everything else. But actually, we actually have an unhealthy obsession or an unhealthy attachment or decadent and extravagant attachment to our possessions. That would be the end of the world if we gave some of them up or lost them. It's about priorities again, isn't it? We are to hold on to what we have loosely. That Jesus would be able to take what he needs if he needs. Because Jesus is to be our treasured possession. The most important person and the most treasured possession. Why is he to be our most treasured possession? How does it even all start? What does God say in the Old Testament to Israel? You are my treasured people. You are loved. You are loved by me. I'm going to build this covenant relationship with you. We see that in Jesus, don't we? The love that Jesus has. That covenant love that he pours out on people, sinners like us. That is why Jesus has to be our most treasured possession. Only Jesus can get rid of our sin. Only Jesus can take away our anxieties and burdens in life. Only Jesus can deal with it. And that is why he has to be our most treasured possession. See, he laid down his life for us. Those are the three difficult priorities for us. But to finish, in verse 34, we see the most devastating pile. So these three things about following Jesus. Yes, Jesus is our only way to heaven. We must trust him and have faith in him. But how do we show that we have faith and trust in him? Well, it's how we live our lives in a sense. So those three things, the possessions, the important person, the idea of carrying our cross, look at what Jesus says if you don't do those things. Look at verse 26, the end of verse 26. Look at the end of verse 27. Look at the verse end of verse 33. What's it say? You cannot be my disciple. If you aren't loving Jesus as number one, Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. If I'm not your most treasured possession, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. If Jesus is not the most important person, Jesus tells us that, well, you aren't really a Christian to begin with. See, if we haven't considered what fo if that following Jesus is worth it, despite what it costs us in this life, that Jesus is our most prized possession, if we don't understand that he is that, then we are saying we don't understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Though we will all struggle with sin, and as we all battle this daily, the put Jesus number one in our lives. Jesus is saying, well, actually, we need to have a wholehearted commitment here. Nothing half-hearted. The Christian life is more than being a witness in the workplace Monday to Friday and turning up on a Sunday morning. It's prayer time. It's taking our discipleship opportunities. For to reject prayer, to reject discipling opportunities must mean surely that Jesus is not the most important person that we aren't willing to bear the cross and follow Jesus, or that he is not our most treasured possession. Discipleship is hard. It feels like climbing Everest sometimes. 
but we do so to remain faithful to Jesus because we know our, our destination is secure. God is concerned with how we walk. In these early days, just after Jesus ascends into heaven, it doesn't take long before his followers are persecuted, threatened, rejected, ridiculed, as is the case around the world today. But what was different about them all was that they were wholehearted in their following of Jesus. They were salty, if you like. They were salty disciples who made difference, made a difference in the world. And if you're a believer today, let me encourage you that you're salty. And although you mightn't feel like it at times, you make a difference in the world. Because you love Jesus, you make a difference in this world. Because you take up this costly posture, you're like salt. My little recipe book is about a pinch of salt to help with the flavor. You might feel small and insignificant. If you're following Jesus, you're trusting him, you're salty, you are making a difference at home. You are making a difference at work or in your, your play, or you are making a difference at school. But Jesus also says, if you're not salty, if you don't have me as your top priority, it actually shows that you weren't really a Christian in the first place. So let's consider this. Does salt lose its saltiness? Can salt lose its flavor? The answer is no. Unless it becomes impure, do you add stuff in, or it wasn't salt in the first place? Salt doesn't lose its saltiness. So the thrust that Jesus is saying is here is, you might look like you're a wholehearted disciple, but if you're not salty, it actually shows that you weren't a follower of me. If you're not trusting in me, if I'm not your prized possession, then the reality is, in your heart, you aren't following me wholly. So what does he say? If you're not salty, you are not a Christian. And where does, if you're not a Christian, end up? It's not even the manure pile, is it? It's another pile. If you're not salty, Jesus says you're not a Christian, and you end up in the manure pile. If we reject the Lord's cross, if we reject our cross, we become worthless like ruined, useless salt. By Jesus' definition here, with the you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple, if we do not have these essential qualities, which are essentially qualities of following Jesus and trusting him as Lord and Savior, that he is the most important person, prized possession, then we have to question if we are fully committed to him. That's what Jesus wants, full commitment. We're either a loyal disciple or a lost sinner. There's no middle category. We trust God, not in part, but in whole. Of course, seasons come on in life, doesn't it, where you're unable to commit to church life as you should. But you aren't fully committed to him if you don't love him the most. You're not fully committed to him if he's not your most important possession. Now is the time to get it right. Some of the crowd were just following Jesus along. They were just attending, if you like. Let's move from just being a church attender to a participant. Because this church family needs you. We are saved from sin for the glory of Jesus in all of eternity. But we are also saved to a community of people. And that people is here in Union Road. 
These believers need you. God did not cause to sit idly by, but to join in with this new family. It's not like a family gathering, you know, like the Binghams will get together once a year at Christmas time. It's not like that kind of gathering, but it's a weekly gathering that is broad in scope because it encompasses a brand new family, the, the church. A family that you just don't need to attend and turn up to that event, but a family that you need to serve and pray alongside. Maybe you were committed in the past, but circumstances maybe has hindered you. That happens. Maybe you haven't lost your saltiness, but you're just so busy and you're wrapped up in things. Let this recalibrate us today, that Jesus would be our priority. Following Jesus, it will be our difficult priority, but he will always be to us our prized possession, even though we stumble, even though we look at things in this world, Jesus always has to be a prized possession because we know the hope that we have in him. He has to be that most important relationship because it is the most important relationship to trust him because in trusting him, we know it will all be worth it. It will. We shall see him face to face. Sinners like us, united to Christ, singing to the praise and the honor of glory of his name. And that's what we're going to do together as participants singing of Jesus, that he is our hope, that he is the most important thing that we have. We're going to stand and sing together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Thank you.